what is psychical research? A popular opinion says that it means going to seances, holding hands in the dark, singing hymns, and perhaps getting in touch with your dead relatives. But in this, popular opinion is only partly correct because it is confusing a psychical research with a spiritualism. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Second Ron. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Second Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Second Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, Sam. Hi, hello. I'm Kate Rambo, and with me is. Um cat podcast correspondent chi chi are you both celebrating guy fox day yeah chi chi actually doesn't mind the fireworks uh last year he was like sitting on the wall watching them some cats don't give a shit some dogs don't either but then other cats and dogs are just absolutely triggered by it Wait, they did, must have uh, been in the war did chi chi knock back a nuki brown and just start lighting fireworks <laughs> yeah, he was out on the streets chaving it up with all the other chav cats <laughs> going around door to door just smashing windows in. That was Chi-Chi. He's from Annan. <laughs> so wait, has it has it been uh has it been crazy there? Has it been nutty? Yeah, it's been popping off. I couldn't be bothered to like uh look at any fireworks or leave my valuable position on the sofa watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers to even bother to look, but I could hear them all. They were going on for hours. Well, I remember last year I was in uh, Carlisle during yeah. uh, on November fifth, and uh, I remember we walked to like the offie, and you could just hear just fireworks going off everywhere. Can you remember we walked past a couple of garden parties, and they were all like letting off their own uh, fireworks as well. Kind of reminded me of the Fourth of July here, because here it's like usually you know you have a barbecue in the backyard, and then as soon as it's like sundown. Then dad breaks out the fireworks, the bottle rockets. I would like to point out that um, November the 5th is like historical. I know 4th of July is, but come on. November the 5th is a way bit of history. It's about trying to bring down the fucking government. Yours is in celebration of a government. Ours is in celebration of kicking the English out of this country (laughs) and declaring independence. So I'd say it's the same, (laughs) the same uh, gravity there. You're welcome to it, let me just tell you. Anyone who (laughs) kicks out our tea is not welcome to us. You know what I learned recently? There was only 22 countries that didn't see a a British invasion during this this period of the world's history, and Sweden's one of them. So good on you, Sweden, for being Swedes. Yeah, I often wondered that, like why Britain would, you know, sail to India, sail to South Africa, go to, you know, Egypt, and go to the U.S. Why wouldn't they or Canada or whatever, why wouldn't they just go conquer Europe? Do you know why, mate? Because we've got the balls to do that. We had the balls as a tiny little nation to put all our men's together, put them all in a boat and say, you just fucking sail out there till you hit land, lads. You just fucking sail out there. And do you know what we all did? We were like, for fucking queen, for fucking country. Yeah, but wouldn't it have been easier just to like head over, you know, cross the channel and then just like conquer, you know, the Netherlands? We did. We were fighting with Napoleon. For... I know you. I knew you fought with France, but did you guys ever conquer Denmark? Fucking probably. Yeah, probably had a go at it. <laughs> T- only twenty-two countries, and Sweden, I think, was the only place in Europe that we hadn't tried to set foot inside of. That's a pity because the women would have been a lot more attractive in England. 
That's true, especially they're so close. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, descended from Viking birds here. And I mean, you're saying that, but were the Vikings really that attractive when you think about how tough as nails they were? You've got to sacrifice something to be tough. I've always had the theory that the Vikings came over and just took all the hot English birds to their country and just right. kind of left the slags behind. And <laughs> That's what I hope they did. <laughs> Godspeed, Vikings. <laughs> they just took the fit ones. Like you're coming with well, us. wouldn't you? You're going to raiding villages. You wouldn't be like rating them out of 10 before a little tribunal. It's a bit like Mengele in Auschwitz, <laughs> who's like, not to the gas chambers. We keep this one for my, for my hospital. So people, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, Kate Rambo is back in the UK. After how, a harrowing um, journey. How was the trip back to the UK? Well, firstly, um, I am very much one to bitch and complain whenever I can. I got, I pre-ordered a vegetarian meal on the flight. And do you know what they served me? Beef stroganoff? Chicken. What? what? They served me chicken. Didn't they ask if you wanted chicken or a vegetarian option? When you pre-order the meal, you get your meal. It was a lacto-friendly vegetarian meal. So when you order your meal, you get it before everybody else. And I was like a little bit drunk at that point. I was super tired. And I was thinking, is this a corn fillet? Because corn fillets disturbingly look like chicken, don't they? I smelt it and I was like, this smells like fucking I, chicken. I wouldn't but you know, it. the lights were down low. What am I going to do? So I put a little bit in my mouth. And I was like, fuck. Spat it out, chicken. Did you go full James Corden at a, I, and just start screaming at the chef? I sat politely and I waited for the stewardess to come background when they were serving the full meal and I was like oh, I'm terribly sorry but uh, I ordered a vegetarian meal and you've given me chicken and she was like oh do you just want me to swap the tray I was like no I want to keep my fucking chicken <laughs> what do you fucking think I want so she just swapped the tra tray over and that was that was it was that a what was the vegetarian option then I was just trying to think what was the vegetarian I obviously ate it it wasn't as good as the journey in because on the journey in they gave us mac and cheese oh it was also pasta but it was ravioli this time without a sauce eh that's not too bad usually virgin virgin Atlantic really good decent options yeah you know yeah. I never pre-order a vegetarian meal I just when they come around I'm like yeah I'll take the vegetarian it's usually you know edible yeah, the difference between you and me is I actually feel human hunger, whereas you don't feel human hunger. So if there wasn't a vegetarian option, like they'd run out, I'd be absolutely fucked. Sitting on a just, flight for 10 hours without eating. I would just ask for more beer. Exactly. shot of whiskey. You're not human. <laughs> You'd take a fucking smoothie with you. So you get back to the UK. You got, uh, what, you had train strikes. I know you were saying it was kind of a harrowing journey up north. It was the day before all the train strikes. So I'm really lucky I didn't come back on the weekend because I would have absolutely been screwed. But I sat on a train for, I was actually talking to Gino on the Discord because I was like, mate, I might need help. Like, can you like help me? Like, if there's no trains, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, look up shit online for me because my phone was also dying. And they just canceled the train as we sat on it. Didn't tell us. I had to go on the app, scroll back to the, find the train I was on, and it was, like, canceled. So I, they canceled the train as I sat on it, and then there was just pandemonium all across London, Houston, as everyone was like, where do I go? I helped a Chinese chick, did my uh, service that day. I helped a Chinese chick. I helped an Australian man. That just sucks. That sucks. I noticed when that happened to me last time when I flew. Uh, or Yeah, when I, I think I was leaving England last time I yeah. was there. In uh, August, all the train strikes are happening. 
I just like the the guy at uh, Carlisle was so accommodating. He's like, oh, let's I'll just put you on this one, do this one, this one. But I remember when I tried to do the same deal happened when I was at like King's Cross, and this guy couldn't be fuck. He didn't give a shit. He's like, you booked it through the app. Sorry, mate. Like I just. It's the fucking Tories. Why don't they just give them what they want? This yeah. country needs trains. And on a bigger note, why are we a country that has such an advanced rail system? Why the fuck don't we have high-speed rail? Why? It's 2022, and we the quickest it can take us to get from London to Glasgow is like five hours. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah, that is mental, especially with your, your guys' reliance on trains. So you get back to the UK, you got a new prime minister, you got train strikes, you have beige buffets, you have cold weather. I mean, you must be excited to be back. No, not really. <laughs> Why would I be excited? The only thing I'm excited to be back for is to be reunited with my baby angel, Chi Chi, who has not left my side. But other than that, I came back and I was like, it's we firstly, it's weird being in a house. After you've been in like a, a flat and then you go into a house, I was like, there's too much room here for just me. It's too much room. Yeah, you adjust to it. Well, I think the sad truth is that the U.S. government is uh, continuing to keep us apart, which sucks. Um, yeah. Not sure how much longer the visa is going to take. I mean, we're still we're still having our application for a visa being processed. processed. We're still being processed, so we don't even know. You would think, since we're already married, that would like expedite things a bit, but no. Not really. No. I mean, it's, it's just U.S. bureaucracy at its finest, coupled with a pandemic that brought everything to a screeching halt. Yeah, which I'm sick of hearing now when people say, because of COVID. It's like, no one cares if you get the COVID anymore. You're not going to die from the COVID anymore. Can we just like move on from it as a society, please? I just hate how they use it as an excuse. But That's what but I, I mean. mean. But isn't, is it an excuse? Because, I mean, they're currently processing applications submitted in early 2021. So, I mean, they're a year behind because the pandemic just kind of disrupted everything. Yeah, that's what they're going to be saying. I reckon up, up until about, I think, about 2025, the COVID will be a viable excuse for anything. Ugh, so annoying. I guess what, what I'm trying to say here, are there any immigration lawyers out there who would like a free Patreon subscription in exchange for their services? If so, yeah. just email stickandwrongpodcast.gmail.com. Thank you. <laughs> Thought I might as you well try. You can do it pro bono as well. Pro uh, Sonny and uh, <laughs> Sonny and Cher. Sonny so, Bono. Okay, Rambo, I was thinking, other than Chi-Chi, the main reason you don't just stay here when, after you visit is that you would not be able to work legally, right? Is it, it's cause, so if you just stayed, if you came and visited in L.A. and then just stayed here, you, you wouldn't be able to work. Right. I could apply for like, there are like alien visas I could have applied for. That's like usually what people who do the K-1 visa do. But yeah, I couldn't work. And I don't have the resources to like not work for 18 months. Plus, it would be so boring not working for 18 months. Well, I got an idea here. Okay. Do you need to have a legal job? Like legally? Like, do you need to have a job that's recognized legally? Oh, you're telling me that I should do a little under the table. I have an idea. Okay. Why don't you move here and start up a paranormal investigation company? I would love that. I mean, think about it. The only credentials you probably would need for this is a website, a Yelp account, maybe a YouTube page. 
I mean, you definitely don't need to be educated in like paranormal science, you know, or educated at all, really. I mean, look at Zach Bagans, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you can just show up and say, I see ghosts, and that's viable enough. Yeah. I mean, you're way more charismatic than Zach Bagans, and you're Thank English, you. which gives you yeah. some kind of like air of legitimacy. Yeah. It's a bit of superiority. Well, think about it. You come from the old world. Everything is haunted in Old Blighty. That's where all the ghosts live. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's ghosts here, but they all came over from the UK. And then you tried to kick them out, and you just create some new ones in the Civil War. I think you should. I mean, you could come here and just start advertising your services. Maybe we'll buy a billboard like Kate Rambo, you know, paranormal investigator, like our pesky poltergeist causing you trouble. There's a cheeky specter bringing you down. Are you perpetually tormented by foul-smelling anal ghosts? Well, quit your whinging, mate. Kate's here to investigate. How's that Why sound? the anal ghosts? Well, I don't know. You never know what type of ghosts you might encounter. I don't want to encounter anal ghosts. There are ghosts Of all exist. the ghosts, no anal ghosts. You're not going to investigate? What if, it's, what if you're going to get a lot of money for this? What if How much money tormented? we talk about? I'm just saying, what if there's like, you know, a haunting of someone's anus and they're going to give you like 10 grand to, to investigate? Let's say I want 50 grand and then maybe I'll consider it. Kate Rambo, anal <laughs> ghost investigator at your service. <laughs> I, I like I like where we're going on this. You know, you'll be chuffed to bits when I make those ghosts split. This you, is... I like your writing at this point. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> You know, okay, I admit, the taglines need a little work, but I think it's a promising idea. All you'd need to do is show up where you probably would need to dress a little more like Mary Poppins-esque. No, you know who I'm going to dress like? I'm going to dress like Monica, uh, Monica Vitti in Modesty Blaze, because that's my dream costume. So that's how I'm going to dress. I, I could see that working, actually. I might have to look that up, but I could I could see that working. And you just show up, maybe with a with a bag, like a you know, like a little, not like a duffel bag, but like a briefcase or a, something. A doctor's a doctor's bag. A doctor's bag, yeah, filled with some yeah. like household English items that Yanks would have never seen, like Marmite or Ribena or something. Like drink some Ribena, and <laughs> maybe a maybe a pack of Curly Whirlies. It's just something I, that they will they'll, they'll Yanks will be like, what is this? What is she bringing into their house? Just be like, this is for paranormal investigations. I could freak them out and eat baked beans for breakfast, which is a very tasty breakfast. I'm not the biggest fan of baked beans, but they work for breakfast. Open your mind, America. Americans would think you were possessed if you did that. And drink some Ribena at the same time. <laughs> just, just shoving baked beans in your mouth and drinking Ribena. Like, oh, I'm here to investigate, mate. Where's the fucking ghosties at? Where's these fucking anal ghosts I've been hearing about? Oh, well, the beans will produce the anal ghosts. Actually, that might be a way that you could exercise them. It could be. There we go. See, we're thinking on our feet now. In rolls the money, D. We're TMing this idea. We're trademarking it. Well, here, I think you could probably just substitute the baked beans for Taco Bell. But either way, (laughs) you know, and then results the same. But seriously, I think you should consider this because I think you can make some decent money being a paranormal investigator. You You could say it's all under the table. Only get cash, you know, and then maybe we could launch Sick and Wrong 4.0, the Ghost Hunter edition. That's true. A, a specialty anal ghosts. Well, you know how much money fucking Zach Bagan, Bagans makes? I mean, that guy, didn't he? Fucking tons. Buy, he bought the La Bianca house in Los Feliz. 
Yeah, he fucking buys what he can. He's got the murder museum. He he does fucking tons. He was also on telly, That's though. So unless I got syndicated in my cat suit, which I could, I could. I think you're more marketable. I mean, that guy, some American bro-looking guy. Like, you know, you come out here, you're dressed as, what did you say, modesty blaze. You got your yeah. English catchphrases. And people, I think, would trust your judgment more than that guy because you're British. Mate, you sold me now. This is what we're doing. This is going to be my future. Well, I think you'll learn about it on this week's show because I was inspired as I was researching the topic of this week's show. OG ghost hunter, paranormal researcher, Harry Price. Um, Eagle-eyed listeners will remember last week we did kind of part one where we talked about psychic Helen Duncan um, who would like barf up the cheesecloth and say it was ectoplasm. And then Harry famously investigated and debunked her as he did many mediums at the time. Uh, but Harry Price was one of the original like paranormal investigators. I and think eagle-eyed listeners will also realize that eagles don't use their eyes to listen. Whatever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it still works. It's still applicable. I waited that whole time just to say that. <laughs> well, anyway, before we get into uh, Harry Price, a quick word about the Patreon page. If you listen to this show every week, and a lot of people have for years, and you genuinely appreciate what we do, we just ask that you sign up for the Patreon and support the show. You don't have to give a lot of money. It's not that much. I mean, you can give two bucks if you want. But uh, for $5 a month, you'll actually get something in return. You get a, a whole second show. Not to mention access to like uh, the archive of posts, which you've been posting at this point for years. Um, but, uh, yeah, we do a full extra episode that we call second show. It's a bit more saucy. Um, this week we're going to chat about the second week of, uh, of Kate's Halloween in Hollywood where, uh, we went to Universal Studios Horror Nights. Um, that was a bit of a, it was a bit of a laugh. Yeah, it was. I'll give a full rundown about what a Brit thinks about Universal Horror. Kate drank a Duff, a Duff beer at Moe's Tavern. Wasn't bad. I would drink another Duff. How much was it, though? I probably wouldn't drink another one at that price, but I probably oh, would. Ridiculous. Um, we kind of talk about more details about our harrowing trip back to the UK. Uh, we talk about my uh, unfortunate excursion last night to a new metal venue in Boyle Heights called Don Quixote. I don't think I'm ever going to go back there again. Um, and then we also do a story about a Republican House candidate in Michigan who's really into a fetish called cranking. Uh-huh. Which I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not, I'm not gonna spoil it. But uh, I think Kate Rambo is also into a fetish called cranking. Well, I know the Viz terminology for cranking. Well, you're I'm gonna sure have to listen over, to the second show to find out. Yeah, over Viz readers will know the uh, the Viz term for crank. And for a few bucks more, ten dollars a month, uh, you get access to our entire. Uh, Sick and Wrong Archives, first 10 years of Sick and Wrong on SoundCloud, as well as uh, access to uh, our bonus mini-set Overkill, uh, which I don't even know, Kate, you've had to do quite a few uh, dozens of Overkills at this point. Yeah, there is, and there's like this Harrison stuff on there, and you know, you can just sign up to the patron, and you don't have to listen to anything if you, like, no one's forcing you. All you're doing is supporting, like, indie outside of radio you're just saying that you like what's happening and occurring here because we're not being sponsored by apart from adam and eve which at this point is more of like a joke sponsorship (laughs) we have no one like supporting us apart from the patrons yeah so we do this show for them so you're directly 
helping keep this show going. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Here's a quick second show teaser that we're hoping will convince you to sign up for the Patreon. And then let's chat about OG paranormal investigator Harry Price. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners, if you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. I used to write letters to like my, like I used to write letters to like Molly Crew and like. Wait, did Tommy Lee? I don't remember exactly who I was writing it to. Wait, do you have these letters? No, I, I sent it to the to the to the address. To the what, what did you say yeah. in the letter? Like, I want to touch your hair. Like, I'm sure it was just. I'm sure. I don't know. I was in like fifth grade. Yeah, but what would you say? Or to- fourth grade. <laughs> I don't know. Like who? Like- just say, man, you're so cool, man. Yeah. I hope when I grow up, man, I'm just like you, cool you dudes, are- man. Yeah. Your did latex you pants, man. I did, but I'll say this: Poison. <laughs> poison is the only band that actually sent something back, like a dick. What pit? did they it was, send uh, you Brett, back? Brett Michaels' lock of hair. No way. <laughs> It was like just some like you know I don't know. Our, here's our thanks for thanks for writing to it. A list of shit you could buy or whatever, like <laughs> join our pay for our fan <laughs> club or something. Club. Yeah, but at least they sent something back. Like n- nobody else. Wait, fucking Axel Rose didn't send anything back. <laughs> Fuck him, <laughs> asshole. Do you think like uh, Vince Neil still has your letter? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> sure he does. He, he just hasn't gotten around to it. He just hasn't written you back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just covered in cum. Yeah. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. So Harry Price was a famous English ghost hunter. Actually, he was one of the first paranormal investigators. And it was his life's mission to uh, find evidence to prove that there was life after death and that poltergeist and other psychic occurrences were real. That's the thing about Harry that sets him apart from you as a paranormal investigator. Harry actually believed in it. Yet He's a believer. But yet his, you know, passion was to debunk it. Like he wanted to find he what he wanted to find, he wanted to find a medium or psychic who was legitimate. Yeah, who could really contact the dead from beyond the grave. And he investigated some of the most famous hauntings throughout Britain during the early part of the 20th century. So let's get into a little history, a little background on uh, Harry. Born in 1881 in Holborn, which was then a very poor district of London. Are you familiar with Holborn? I do know Holborn, and yet it's no shocker there. Is it still poor? Is there a poor area of London? Well, yeah, if you go fucking south of the river. Where's Holborn? I don't, I'm not actually sure where Holborn is. To me, it sounds north of the river, but I could be fucking wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I only know, like, um, the good parts of London. Let's put it like that. Well, this would have been, like, what, Victorian London back then. So Yeah, if, maybe Jack the Ripper was stalking the streets of Holborn. Possibly. Well, young Harry grew up with an interest in archaeology, magic, and especially conjuring. And he spent a lot of time in his youth perfecting his conjuring skills and working out like magic tricks. So he would have been, yeah, he would have been like super into uh, the magic castle here in L.A. I could see him I, doing like tricks with rings and cards and things like that. He's 
giving me a bit of wackily vibes. Like instead of, you know, wanting to conjure up a date, he's conjuring up a sci-fi club. Yeah, I guess I could see wackily trying to conjure up a high life. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's kind of something. I bet you if Wackerly got magic powers, it'd be like, I'm going to make a high life or I'm going to make, you know, a a vodka soda appear out of nowhere. I would Um, like those skills. These skills, though, these conjuring skills and this appreciation of magic would help him in his later career because he knew what, you know, the techniques of sleight of hand and other mechanisms and cold reads and things like that that mediums would use to produce fake phenomena during a seance or a reading. So he kind of knew the signs of what to look for, which, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, he can, uh, he can recognize a con artist through, uh, through possibly being one himself or possibly just knowing the techniques. It's just knowing the tricks of the trade. He was such a good conjurer that um, when he was in his teens, well, early 20s, he was accepted as a member of the Magic Circle in the UK. I love how there were like these kind of occult groups because that was such a thing back then. But there were like, you know, there was the the Magic Circle, the Society of uh, Magicians. There was the um, Society for uh, Physical or Psychical Research. Yeah, Order of the Golden Dawn. Like there were things that, that was definitely more occult than what some of these were. But these 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 clubs, I guess, would have seances and uh, different like paranormal type events. So anyway, he became a member of the Magic Circle in the UK, and from 1921 was the honorary librarian of the exclusive Magicians Club. So he was oh. like well into that scene. What an honor! He was also elected to the Society of American Magicians. And here he made contacts like uh, Eric Dingwall, who carried out investigations on behalf of the Society for Psychical Research. He also became acquainted with uh, none other than Harry Houdini, um, whom he shared a deep interest in collecting books about magic, as well as like research about the paranormal. So when he, when, uh, he met Eric Dingwall, he introduced him to the Society for Psychical Research in 1920, and he was initially involved as a member but he found himself being treated with a, quite a bit of suspicion from the senior members. First of all, they uh, found out that he was a spiritualist. He actually believed in uh, you know, the paranormal. He believed in the existence you know, of ghosts. And so that definitely struck a nerve with some of the senior members, as well as they were antagonistic to his lower class origins and oh. lack of a university education. Oh, so Harry's the underdog. I'm fucking on his side now. I just imagine all these fat cats laughing at Harry when he comes in. He's like, I'm going to fucking show all of you. The Rocky music starts playing in the background, but it's got like a harpsichord. A harpsichord version of the Rocky theme starts playing. Well, typical entitled Brits. I mean, they, these guys are probably Tories. Oh, total Tories. They wouldn't play, pay the rails what they wanted either. <laughs> so uh, his ambitions now to, to be a part of the SPR... Um, Society of Psychical Research is not blocked. So then he went another he went another route. And this is how crafty here he was. He approached the London Spiritualist Alliance, the LSA, and uh, said that he wanted to create a new organization that would objectively investigate mediums and other you know paranormal phenomena. Uh, the LSA accepted his proposal mainly because of his contacts that he already established. And in 1925, the National Laboratory of Psychical Research was created with with uh, Harry as the honorary director. 
Yeah, so he's just done a Marilyn Monroe and created his own production company so he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Pretty much, and I admire that, actually. I do, so, for an underdog. Bless him. He set up a laboratory. He set up a seance room. Uh, the, 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 these were separated by a baffle chamber to stop light or sound leaking during experiments. Uh, there's a workshop. There's a dark room. There's an office. I mean, this is official. This is the first time that anybody made such a sophisticated laboratory for paranormal research in Britain. Is that in London? Yeah, it was in London. And uh, I don't know if it's still there at this point. But, uh, yeah, the next thing I was going to ask, it'd be so cool if it was like still around. I wonder if they've blue plaqued it, because that's what they do. They put up a blue plaque saying so-and-so worked and lived here. Well, he put together his own guidelines for investigating an alleged haunting or debunking a, a medium. And he invented some early ghost hunting equipment. Uh, fun fact here, he actually invented the first proton pack. As in what they use in Ghostbusters. I'm lying. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he did have some other items that he created. He had electroscopes, which detected the magnitude of electrical charge in a body. He had barographs that could record atmospheric pressure. It's kind of like, do you remember the items that Egon used in Ghostbuster? Hell yeah. The second sexiest of all the Ghostbusters. And he uh, made a thermograph, which made continual readings of temperatures. I think we could just kind of make apps for you to use. Like, you can have your own thermograph app, so you could just use your iPhone. I mean, the rubes will have no idea. I'll do, yeah, I'll just, get, I'll just whack out an, uh, a tablet. But it, we'll but it was more or less a sophisticated laboratory, especially at the time. Um, he later reorganized the laboratory as the London University Council for Psychical Investigation. Uh, never officially a part of the London University, but a number of academics um, you know, assisted with him and uh, you know, funded his research to link paranormal um, science with mainstream science. Okay. It's a bit of a mouthful to say, though. I feel like he should have been catchier. I would have thrown some shekels into his patron and just said, just change the name, mate. He probably should have hired a PR firm. Um, <laughs> now, the thing is with Harry, his passion was debunking, you know, fake seances and fake mediums and people who were uh, charlatans, more or less. And he abhorred the tricks that, these, that they would use to claim to be in contact with the spirit world. I mean, he exposed them as con artists. However, he was a genuine believer. I mean, he, th he thought that there were spiritual mediums out there whose claims were true, that were actually contacting the other world. The dead. I mean, he, he was a believer. He, he believed in ghosts. He believed in hauntings. He just See. was, he, what he was trying to do was debunk them using his methods, find out if they were fake or not. Yeah, I get that. So 1927, he became a member of the acclaimed Ghost Club. I love all these clubs in Britain at the time. <laughs> Um, it's just looks like a lonely man thing to do is to just be part of all these. I'm just too busy to do anything because I've got all my clubs. Yeah, I don't it's know. life before the internet. I imagine there's still like a cult type. Cl I think Harrison was involved in a cult club here. Yeah, he was. Harrison was basically in the OTO slash the Golden Dawn, although not the racist Golden Dawn, the OG Golden Dawn. But, but I think they just got together and played like. Magic the Gathering. I don't think they actually did anything. 
Well, the OTO is very much like Catholicism. There's a lot of like rituals you have to go to and like chants you'll do. There's nothing like nefarious about it. I can certainly see six grown men Harrison's age all meeting in a room and just doing a bunch of like Masonic type chants. And then like an hour later, they're like, so how was work for you this week? And then they just leave. Yeah, it's you like the Masons. How, yeah, because you imagine how bad that room must smell. With Harrison in it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Go Club, um, the Gold Club, <laughs> it's the not Ghost a club. club. The Ghost Club uh, ended up uh, closing down due to dwindling attendance in uh, 1936. Um, That's but a shame. Harry's successfully reopened it again as a dining club, where oh, prominent cool. experts in the field would give dinner talks. Women were also allowed to join Harry's version of the Ghost Club for the first time. <laughs> okay. Just call it the Gold Club, the original Gold Club. I probably should. You know why it probably closed down the first time in 1936? Because all the men who were in that club, guess where they're going? Off to fucking war. So that's probably why it closed down the first time. Well, I think he ruined it once they allowed women to join, just like this podcast. A woman on a podcast <laughs> on the internet? How ridiculous, David. So Harry, over his career, built up a huge library of books and documents and case files, uh, which he gave all to the University of London. So, I mean, you can go look at uh, Harry's library at the University of London uh, currently. He's also the author of over 20 books. Like, he had 20 books that came out. The Most Haunted House in England came out in 1940. Poltergeist over England, 1945. The End of Borley Rectory came out in 1946 oh. these are all regarded as classics so i mean he's a prolific okay. author and a legitimate investigator despite wonder... the fact that he never had a formal education yeah i was about to say i wonder how dry these books are or if they're gonna have a little bit of a flair to them because he's apparently so undereducated. well there's a lot of controversy with the borley rectory book we're gonna get to that in a minute so i've heard of that Harry conducted his paranormal investigations for over three decades. Um, I'm going to highlight just a couple of the famous cases. We actually spoke about one, uh, this one last week. The medium Helen Duncan, who uh, he debunked in 1931. So Helen Duncan, as we mentioned last week, uh, was probably the most popular medium working in Britain in the first half of the 20th century. Her seances were famous and attended by throngs of people. And she was renowned for producing physical phenomena such as ectoplasm, you know, from her mouth. However, Harry sensed a faker. He was convinced she was faking these phenomena and apports. He believed she was swallowing cheesecloth before the seance started and then regurgitating it in a darkened room so it looked like genuine ectoplasm coming out of her mouth. Harry could smell the cum on her breath. I think that's what it was. Harry's no stranger to blowjobs. <laughs> Ghostly blowjobs. Um, so he arranged for the National Lab- Laboratory of uh, Psychical Research to invite Helen Duncan to undergo some tests and experiments in 1931, which they paid her a hefty sum of 50 pounds. And Helen was days- down for the money. That, that was a lot of money in those days. Oh, it was probably like, what, 500 quid? But money went further back then because everything cost a pittance. Yeah, 1931. She had a whole family to support. It's the war. Well, it's about to be the war. Yeah. Um, These medium tests that he did didn't go too well for uh, poor Helen, Hella Schnell. Uh, She's very unhappy at the prospect of being x-rayed before before the seance. 
And so uh, she became hysterical. I think we talked about this last week. She ran out screaming in the street. And then Price was convinced when she had her fit that she uh, passed the incriminating cheesecloth that she had swallowed to her husband as he was trying to calm her down. On other test occasions, Harry determined that the ectoplasm was just egg whites and uh, cool. paper saturated, saturated with egg white. So now he was totally convinced that she was a fraud, and he ended up testifying against her in the infamous court case in 1944 where she was on trial for witchcraft after bringing the spirit of a deceased person from the HMS Barnum. Uh, and she ended up going to prison for nine months. And Harry got a lot of recognition. Um, one of his other earlier cases here uh, was uh, Joanna Southcott's box. He liked Joanna's box. I was going to say Joanna box. What a Jojo box. This mysterious box was said to contain a series of prophecies by the mystic Joanna Southcott, who we might need to cover one of these days. Um, okay. And it was only to be opened at a time of great national peril in the presence of all the bishops of the Church of England. So there was something very important, something pivotal in this box. There were calls to be there were calls were made to open the box during the Crimean War and in the Great War, World War One. But it was not investigated until 1927 when Harry Price and the National Laboratory of Psychical Research got their hands on Joanna Southcott's box. The box, the box. The box. What's in the box? Some say the box was x-rayed. Some say it was open. But apparently all the researchers found in the box was a pistol, a lottery ticket from the 19th century, a nightcap, some books, a purse, and a dice box. You know how you always talk about my heart and like when I move over, like all the heart I'm going to bring with me? You're basically just describing one of my many, many, many boxes. Although I don't have a pistol, but I do have a toy pistol. But you do have a box probably filled with porcelain zoo creatures. And every single one is coming with me now. I have decided none are leaving. I'm being buried of all my porcelain zoo. I hope none of them get broken during the journey or while we're trying to set up you know, the new, uh, the new flat. Why would they, David? Because I'm going to pack and wrap them very, very well. Why would they get dropped in the new flat? Why would that Accidents happen? Accidents happen. That's all I'm saying. No, it won't. Um, rumors abounded that this was not the real box, that Harry had oh, a, yeah. a false box. Uh, he was using a, a decoy box to gain more public awareness of his uh, newly formed National Laboratory of Psychical Research and to discredit the legacy of famed mystic Joanna Southcott. Um, she was born 1750, Joanna here, and she had written several volumes of divine revelations. And she had announced at the age of 64 that she was going to give birth to a new savior of the world named Shiloh, who is to be the one in the, in the, in the same as the Messiah that's, that was described in the book of Genesis. D did she, did she give birth? I bet she didn't. I bet she gave birth to like a potato or a cauliflower. Well... The Messiah failed to appear, and Joanna Southcott died uh, shortly afterwards. So, Oh, she was loopy. I bet she was yeah. that fun auntie that whenever they would come around, you'd just be like, oh, my God, get the tea and cake out because this woman is going to talk. I would like to know how Harry got his hands on her box. It kind of reminds me of like a Dybbuk box, you know, where it's like the laws of it. They're like, should we open it? Are times bad enough? Imagine if they did open it as like an answer to the Great War and there's like a nightcap in there. 
It's like, this or will like solve a, all of Germany's problems. Or a prophecy that there's going to be even worse Second Great War. Yeah, it's on the way, lads. Well, I mean, there was a lot of mistakes made in the First World War. America well, made a lot of mistakes. Harry did get a lot of notoriety at the time and uh, built up a lot of uh, publicity for his new organization. However, one of his uh, more bizarre experiments was the Brocken experiment. This is how I first learned of Harry Price. This happened in 1932. So for this investigation, Harry Price actually performed a black magic ritual. Cool. Yeah. From start to finish, designed to transform an ordinary goat into a handsome young man. Is that what happened to you? Much you like me in that picture we took in Vegas at the Golden Steer, that handsome young man, I was formerly a goat. I, I can see that happening to you in South Africa. <laughs> um, so he was inspired by uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, um, who famously had an interest in the occult, and he had visited the Brocken Peak, which um, is, uh, has always been associated with black magic. Uh, he hiked a path that's still memorialized as the Goethe Way. Um, but yeah, the, the, the entire Harz Mountain region, including the Brocken Peak, have uh, historically been associated with witches, spirits, and black magic. Um, so Goethe said uh, portions of him, his most famous play, Faust, on the Brocken Peak in that Harz region, including right. the surreal Volpurgisnacht scene where the devil Mephistopheles leads Faust around the Brocken. So that's an actual yeah. like you know scene within that book, um, and there's like a witch and a gorgon. Price would later write after he performed the Brocken experiment that um, paganism died hard in the Harz country. Oh my God, Harry! Yeah, it's <laughs> a bit mean. Uh, Goethe died in 1832, but his legacy is still celebrated around the Harz on the centennial anniversary of the author's death. So I actually wonder if they still, to this day, do it every hundred years. If so, hey, 2032, we might want to check should, that out. We should try and get there. I bet they do something every year, even if it's just small. It's kind of like, so on Robbie Burns, uh, they have Burns Night, and that's a Scottish thing every year. That's like famous. So I bet they do something every year. Possibly. Well, Price found out about this and was aware of, of he's probably aware of all the, the mystical shit that happens in, uh, in the Harz region. And so he got in on the festivities. So he and fellow philosopher uh, C.E.M. Joad traveled to the Brocken to stage their own black magic ritual. So now Price wrote about this whole thing in his book, Confessions of a Ghost Hunter, which I definitely want to check that out. So when he was talking about that uh, in that book, he said he came into possession of an arcane grimoire called the High German Black Book, which contained a number of spells, ancient spells and rituals. And so the organizers of the whole Goethe centennial celebration learned that he actually had possession of that old book of magic. And so they asked him to come to Brocken to perform magic out of that book. And so Price oh, was cool. like, hell yeah, I'll do this. Because it's a perfect opportunity to emphasize the absolute futility of ancient magical ritual under 20th century conditions. So he was just doing it to make a fool out of them and their beliefs. He's, yeah, he's a bit of a wet blanket because I'd have gone and been like, this is going to be so much fun with all the right people who are into it. It's kind of like going to see like merciful fate. 
you're like so into all the costumes and everything that's going on. You know what I mean? And he's going to go there and just shit upon it. Yeah, I, w- I think I would have gone an alternative route. I think what I would have done is like hooked up special effects and done some like actually made something happen. You know, like get a go, swap it out with a kid. I mean, he knew how to do all this stuff. He was a master and master conjurer. Can you imagine the look on all their faces when suddenly the goat became a handsome young Jew called Just D. Me. Simon? Just sitting there like, hey, keep it sick, <laughs> keep it wrong. <laughs> like, send it back. We want the goat back. So yeah. he traveled He traveled the Harz Mountains in Germany with some of his colleagues uh, using a magical formula from the Black Book known as the Bloxburg Trist. Bloxburg is the archaic name for Brocken. So this spell is a ritual that's designed to transform a young male goat into a handsome human boy. And so under the directions of, uh, in, within the book for performing the Bloxburg Trist, it had to be performed atop the Brocken Peak under the light of a winter's full moon. This is all so, very evocative. Yeah. Don't you just love goats as well? I'd be going there going, oh, I can't wait to meet the goat that we're about to play with. Black like Philip over here. So the yeah. he goat <laughs> must be led by a silken cord held by a maiden pure in heart in fair white garments. Oh, I, mm, oh, could I pass? I do love spending time with goats. Sorry, I would never wear Rambo. white though. You get you probably Shut get up. you'd probably get rejected. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think you could make it on top of the peak. They're like, sorry, no slags. What are you trying, um, <laughs> what are you trying to say about me? I just want to spend time with the goat, not in that way. Just in a nice way with friends. I don't even want to know how you want to spend time with this goat, okay? <laughs> hey! Incense, incense must be burned and a pine fire lit. Standing on a magical circle that has been drawn on the ground, the maiden must spin the goat around three times, then pour wine over his head while reciting magic words. Be gone, be gone, ye profane ones. And when the magic starts to work... The moon will go dark, and the maiden then needs to cover the goat with a white sheet. And when the cloth is removed, presto, the goat's gone, replaced with a young, handsome human boy. These gender reveal parties are really getting out of hand. So. <laughs> this would be a great gender gender reveal party. Black magic <laughs> would, ritual, yeah. you know, upside down pentagram. That'd be amazing. I couldn't swing a goat around. Could you? That's animal abuse. No, lead and then you it took wine in its face. No, lead it oh, around in a circle it and then pour wine on it. <laughs> yeah, I was imagining that you'd hold it by its two front hooves and just spin in a circle with it going like, wee. She's That's not what a Hulk I Hogan. Like, what do you think? She's like a young virgin. Um, I, think I could pick up a little goat and probably spin it around, but I won't because I love them. Harry was shrewd. I held a rehearsal the night before, June 17th, that just to see how everything would pan out, and it didn't go quite well. Um, he invited a, like a, a number of journalists and photographers there to, to record the event, um, and they were like kind of uh, definitely dubious. But at the same time, a lot of people genuinely believed in this magic ritual and that Harry Price was going to turn a goat into a young boy. So the following night, June 18th, um, 19, what is this, 1932, um, uh, the main event took place. Although the moon uh, wasn't like completely full. Uh-huh. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, despite a lavish dinner party and a lot of pageantry, 
the goat did not undergo any magical transformation. And when they removed the cloth, it was still a goat. Because the moon wasn't full. And I bet there's rules that you can't use the same virginal girl twice. So I bet he shouldn't have used the same girl the night before that he used the second time because she's kind of like adhered to it. Well, for the sake of science, Price and company came back the next night because they knew the moon was going to be full with a new virgin. Left the press behind, performed the ritual a second time, and guess what happened? What? Still a goat. <laughs> just, yeah, they're so no. cute. <laughs> Very I underwhelming. Was hoping that they would take the sheet off, and you know those famous videos of like goats where they're wearing pajamas and like little cowboy hats, and they're just like jumping over logs. I'd hoped that would be the invention of cute baby goat videos. This very oh, nice. like those little pygmy goats. Yeah, and they're just like wearing pajamas, and they have like a little cowboy hat, and they're just super cute and delightful. Just so what, happy to be fucking alive. I wonder what the uh, the German country folk would think about that. Like if the, he pulls back the cloth and the goat's just wearing a little cowboy hat. Oh, they would still eat him. <laughs> um, so anyway, I mean, obviously, Harry knew this wasn't going to work. And it gave him a chance to debunk ancient magic and uh, just show the, you know, that it's all kind of a farce. Uh, did, he did get a lot of publicity out of this. A lot of people were very interested in it. And I think this led to his most famous um, investigation, um, the Borley Rectory, which I kind of want to go check out the site of the Borley Rectory in Borley, Essex. Need to track yeah. down the right address. I'm sure there's some people out there in Essex that know this area. It doesn't exist anymore. It was torn down. But allegedly, it was the most haunted house in England at the time. So Harry got into the Borley Rectory. I would say, I think he was almost just too infatuated with it. He studied it for many years, wrote two books about it, um, brought him uh, fame, also brought him a lot of controversy, tarnished his reputation in later years. Oh. Yeah, and in death. Oh, Harry. So, the rectory was built in 1862 to accommodate the growing family of the incumbent minister, the Reverend Henry Bull. Um, this was, oh wait, it was built in 1862, and the growing family of the minister, Henry, uh, Henry Bull, uh, lived there up until like the 1929. Uh, there's a local legend from medieval times of a nun in a nearby convent who engaged in a listened affair with a monk from a monastery that was thought to have once been situated close to where the new rectory was built. This is the famous picture, isn't it? Yeah, of the, uh, yeah. Of the, the, the nun in the background. Yeah. Uh, the affair was discovered, and as punishment, the monk was killed, and the nun was walled in alive in the convent and left to starve to death. It's a harsh it, death. There's no historical evidence of this legend ever you know, proven to be true. Uh, but... There was, uh, in the area, there was talk of a, a ghostly nun who walked the rooms of the Borley Rectory, wailing into the night. Uh, They're always also... wailing, aren't they? Well, she's obviously very sad. I mean, she's... Yeah, uh... but they could be going throughout the rooms, like, singing the hits of the day. Well, I don't think this nun had anything to uh, celebrate. I mean, her lover was uh, killed, and she was buried alive. Um, singing the hits of the day. So there are also reports of unexplained footsteps and noises and the apparition of a coach driven by a headless coachman. Nice. 
Yeah. It actually sounds better than James Wan's horror film, The Nun. Remember that? Did you ever see that? No, I didn't see that. Is that a modern one? It's uh, it's kind of in the Conjuring universe. Yeah, it's one I've of not the Conjuring movies. I get yeah. confused with all the Conjuring films. There's a lot of them at this point. So Reverend Bull died in 1928, and the rectory was taken over by the Reverend Eric Smith. One day, Smith and uh, his wife were uh, doing some spring cleaning, and she discovered a woman's skull wrapped in brown paper in one of the cupboards. After this grisly discovery, the Borley Rectory became subjected to poltergeist activity. Servant bells would ring in the middle of their night on their own accord, phantom footsteps running up and down the stairs, and unexplained lights would uh, go off and on in the windows all throughout the night. So the distressed family here was like, there's something wrong. And they contacted a national uh, newspaper, who then contacted Harry Price in his laboratory of psychical research. So they arranged for Harry to go and investigate June of 1929. So while Harry's at the house, new phenomena was reported, such as messages from the spirit being tapped out and stones being thrown at people. And so this strange activity seemed to stop immediately after Price left, uh-huh. which is somewhat suspect. Um, that caused some mutterings uh, amongst, the, uh, amongst the, the populace here that he was producing these effects himself. So this is kind of like uh, The Wire, Series 5. You know, when Jimmy McNulty pretends to be a fucking serial killer for no reason at all because he wants the yeah. money from the department. That's it was is this kind what of Harry's like... doing? He's doing a Jimmy McNulty in Season 5 of The Fucking Wire. Or, that's the thing, Harry loved publicity. Was he making this into more of what it actually was? Yeah. Is he like trying to seek fame? Or was this actually he's, occurring? He's already famous. He doesn't need fame. But he certainly needs the money from big cases that keep his department open. Well, so uh, Reverend Eric Smith was like, yeah, I'm out of here. So after all this happened, Harry investigated, he left. And so in 1930, a new vicar, Reverend Lionel Foister, moved in with his family. And the poltergeist activity started up again, sevenfold this time. And Foister kept very diligent written records of the incidents as they occurred. He started studying it. So the reverend's report included a variety of uh, bizarre occurrences, including the breaking of windows, strange writing just appearing on the walls, uh, their daughter being locked in a room to which there was no key, objects such as bottles and stones being thrown about the house in the middle of the night. Like, so there were a lot of just like these weird paranormal type events. Um, his wife, Marianne, would make uh, additions to a document that was way worse than whatever Harry reported. She appeared to be the center of the most extreme poltergeist activity, claiming to have been violently thrown from a bed and periodically attacked by an unseen force. This isn't the ghost of a nun. This is the ghost of a chav. <laughs> Possibly. Are there a lot of chavs in Essex? Yeah, it's like the home of Essex, Towie. Actually, um, random fact about me. I lived uh, after I was from London. My family moved out to Chelmsford, which in the 80s was just like the height of like chab fashion. Still is in a way. You know what I think it is? I think it's the ghost of a cock-block dogger. It could also be that too. Well, isn't that most like, well, no, the monk was getting it on with the nun, so it can't have been him. (laughs) 
So all the investigators who looked at the Borley Rectory came to one common conclusion. Marianne was at the center of this poltergeist activity. Whether intentionally or subconsciously, she was, she was the reason this was all happening. So there's this writing that uh, Harry reported, but also uh, the Reverend Foister reported, that appeared on the walls. And this, you, there's pictures of it. I'll post it to the site. Um, and this, people are still interested by this phenomena to this day. So in 1931, this writing was addressed to Marianne specifically. Pleas for rest and mass prayers would be scrawled across the walls in like these manic scribbles. A lot of it was very illegible. Um, despite many recorded incidents being considered authentic or truly explained, Marianne's claims were somewhat irreparably damaged, and we'll find out a little bit more about her inform- about her background um, after she confessed to being in a sexual relationship with a family's lodger. Why? In my mind, then, I really thought you were going to say dog. No. There was a lodger that was staying at the house, and she ended up having a sexual relationship with him. And so she would go on to explain that she frequently used claims of supernatural phenomena in order to conceal <laughs> the affair from her husband. Oh, yeah, like the lights are going off because the lodger's just, like, fucking her so hard against the walls. And the footsteps and the noises and the crying. Oh, it's, it's a ghost. Well, it's not ex- the sexy lodger. She explained away the noise and suspicions with a swift mention of a ghost that her husband was recording in his journal. Oh, yeah, because he'd just be like, I'm not coming to bed now. I must journal this. And then she can go and get like absolutely railed by the lodger. Well, this it's always this, a sexy lodger. It became a scandal. Gripped the UK at the time in the 30s. Everybody was talking about it. And so these reports were then sent to Price. And so Harry Price was like, I already investigated this and I saw, you know, I heard some footsteps and I heard the tapping and I saw some messages. I don't believe Marianne. I kind of find her claims dubious. I think she was just having an affair and was trying to justify it or at least hide, conceal the affair from her husband. He still thought that there's, that there's a, you know, haunted occurrences in this building. So Foister ended up quitting the rectory in 1935, but Harry Price took up tenancy there for a year in order to undertake further investigations. And he brought with him a group of people who stayed at the rectory over the weekends to observe and record any paranormal occurrences. So Price would also conduct a number of series of seances in the rectory. In one instance, in 1938, a medium named Helen Glanville was reported as having made successful contact with a nun and an unidentified male spirit. The latter um, spirit was to predict the rectory's ultimate destruction by fire, March 27, 1938. Harry set this bitch on fire, didn't he? Well, 19, uh, um, what ended up happening is the rectory's new owner, um, Captain W.H. Gregson, was moving into the property when an oil lamp was upturned and the house was set ablaze. So a fire was- started, and there was no way to save the rectory at the time. The house was burned down to the ground. They were still using oil lamps back then. Yeah, in the 30s. It just seems like such a random thing to have, an oil lamp. When did England even get electricity? Like 1970s? Actually, it didn't roll out properly until the 1980s. I mean, I've been to your house. You don't even, you've never even seen a microwave oven until you came here. (laughs) I'd never seen a microwave. I don't even have an inside toilet. It's all outside. I know. I have a washroom. (laughs) 
That was tough. You have a sink. That works for me. <laughs> um, so initially, the burning of the rectory was uh, reported as an accident, but upon investigation, an insurance company deemed that Gregson's actions was deliberate and the house was left as a ruin never to be rebuilt. So we never got any money for it either. It's, do you think that was part of the insurance claim? They were like, no, Squire, you can never rebuild. The, the wreck is yours. And then you just own this ruin. Well, I, I don't know. If, I mean, I don't know. I think he just left it at this point because it was kind of worthless. But Harry Price didn't think it was worthless. He still continued to investigate Borley. And so he was, uh, you know, there were some of her writings, Marion's wall writings, that were still preserved in the, in the, the wreckage of the, uh, the rectory. And so he believed that the messages read the well-tank bottom me, like the illegible messages, or the well-tank bothers me. And so he was 100% convinced that the body of the nun, whose restless spirit plagued the house, was in the, uh, the, the, the tank in the basement, like in yeah, the cellar. The well he thought she be. was buried there. Yeah. yeah. And so he returned to the site. He dug into the cellar. This is a famous investigation. The nation was gripped with this. And he did find bones in the cellar of the rectory. But the yeah, resolution, but like chicken bones. Well, the resolution was not as it seemed. The bones found at the bottom of the pit were that of a pig. Not enough. Oh, do you think oh, a poor little pig one day was just like, you know, doing his own little pig thing, tottering around, and then whoops, he's in a well. And nobody saved the pig. Well, the pig died. Obviously, and that was the bones, and that's what Harry thought. I'm, I'm sure Harry was just stoked when he found these bones, and yeah, then they tested them. Well, you know, pig bones could look like a, a you know, small human. Especially so, if it's a huge pig. Um, the local he he went to a local vicar and he asked the local vicar to do a Christian burial of the bones, and uh, <laughs> they're like, no. And so, oh, Mr. Piggy, he took the bones with him. He was still convinced it was the nun. He didn't believe that science proved it was a pig. And so two years later, 1945, um, Price, with a small gathering of friends and a local photographer, got a reverend, a man by the name of Alfred uh, Henning, to bury the bones. And he claims that the bones was, uh, that there was a part of a human jaw there and a skull. And he thought it was the remains of the ghost nun, Marie Lair, who still haunted the rectory. And so they buried it, and he felt like he gave, you know, he he put her spirit to rest. Maybe, like, because um, Brit British people are disgusting, maybe some farmer, some Essex farmer, had dressed up a pig like a nun, had been fucking the pig, because it's very sexy when a pig's dressed up like a nun, and then the pig ran away, fell down a well trying to get away, and there it died in its nun's costume. And that's why he was just so convinced that this pig was a nun well don't a lot of people in essex lose their virginity to pigs <laughs> i think 100 percent of the people in essex lose their virginity to pigs also is there anything stopping a pig from becoming a nun uh, there I'm, isn't is there yeah i wouldn't be surprised i mean why not yeah i mean i'd let a pig be a nun let them well pigs have rights strange happenings still occur on the side of the grounds and in the nearby churchyard the spectral nun has still been seen in one of the shattered windows of the house before they knocked it down. So there's still, it's a, still a site of poltergeist activity, the area where the Borley Rectory once was. I wouldn't mind checking that out one day. We should go and we should take a little pig, 
that's dressed up like a nun just to see because if anything's going to trigger anything it'll be a pig dressed like a nun well i think that would definitely offend the ghost nun yeah uh, i think the, the ghost nun would be like that pig is fucking delightful hello or she might be really offended and, and haunt you curse you they can do curses might... those nuns can nuns do curses oh yeah is that part of their their jobs i don't really know much about nuns apart from what i've learned in sister Act. i just know be two. respectful because they will uh <laughs> no i think they can they can conjure up the power of jesus well anyway harry price died of a heart attack march 29th 1948. yet his research and his work especially with the borley rectory would not be overlooked so following his death accusations of fraud started coming out about him investigators and associates colleagues of his started uh accusing him of being a fraud and being a con artist this, the man had a lot of haters put it that way um price was often criticized though for his investigations and uh mainly due to the publicity and they felt that that's what he was really after he was like a pt barnum type guy he was just trying he was he was a fame hound he was just trying to be famous the warrens yeah um, one example is the case of the talking mongoose that presented itself at the house of the irving family in the isle of man you know the family claimed that this mongoose was possessed and was speaking and so harry obviously this is a bit ridiculous, took it seriously. And uh, he pointed out on his visit that wooden paneling and the unusual construction of the building made it one great speaking tube. And so, I don't know. It sounded like a boss. It definitely sounded like a hoax. But he, the fact that he knew this immediately made people yeah, quite yeah. dubious of Harry and his techniques. Um, I've always wanted a taxidermy of a mongoose wrestling with a snake. Wrestling a cobra, yeah, that'd be cool. yeah. Um, the Brocken experiment, he received a lot of criticism of that because his colleagues thought he was, in, he was going to approach this as an actual scientific experiment rather than, you know, a spectacle, an entertainment, you know, spectacle. Because he invited, like, the journalists and the photographs. He used this as a big publicity moment. Like, he was definitely living this up, you know, standing yeah. in the middle of the pentagram with a goat. And, you know, I'm, as one would do, believe me, I, I would have a blast doing this. I should actually do something like this to promote the podcast. Um, 1956, well after Harry died and well after the Boyley Rectory burned to the ground, three of Price's peers from the Society of Psychical Research wrote a book together called The Haunting of the Boyley Rectory, which argued that all of Price's claims were deliberately false and fraudulent uh, with reported phenomena easily attributed to deliberate misdirection acoustics or vermin that were in the residence in particular they focused on um, one of his theories that after the rectory was burned down there's a photograph and harry claimed that there was a flying brick that was being yeah. held by a by a by a paranormal entity he said it was the work of a poltergeist but a journalist who was with him at the time was said that's probably just been thrown by one of the workmen at the site I mean, it's not, it's just a brick that someone happened to take a snap a photo after a workman chucked it, you know. And a colleague of Price, this is a member of his national laboratory, stated after a visit, although I did not feel certain, I left Borley with a definite suspicion that Mr. Price might be responsible for most of the phenomena. 
Oh, he's just casting shade across Harry right now. But I think the nail in the coffin here was Marianne Foister. Remember the Ooh. slag that was uh, that was having an affair with the lodger? Yeah. Well, she the confessed. the lodger's todger, so she was, D. Simon. Exactly. She confessed that she made up many of the reports of the ghost and had enjoyed playing pranks on her husband to scare him and get him to believe. <laughs> so that then she could be chowing down on the lodger's penis. Exactly. She never. She admitted that she never experienced anything supernatural within the house, and that all the reports about it were completely false and made up. She explained that all the activity within the house was due to misinterpreted creaks and sounds from ill weather, the movements of visitors within the house, and her own deception. Like she was just playing pranks on her husband. She was just taking the piss, <laughs> and not to mention it's, literally taking the piss in, yeah. from the lodger. It's like. It's some ultimate form of playing pranks so that you can get your end away. <laughs> making, making your husband believe that the house is haunted so that you can shag the lodger upstairs. Well, it kind of tarnished the legacy of uh, Harry Price. I mean, a lot of people think his contribution to the world of paranormal research is controversial, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, was Harry as much of a fraud as Helen Duncan? Maybe on a different level. I think he's more of like a stuntman. He's like a Ripley's. Maybe. I mean, it sounds like he might have faked paranormal activity and spirit communication for his own gain, financially and publicly. But maybe he just wanted to believe so badly that he, he didn't look at it as faking it or lying if he was going to get a result at the end of it. Well, there's thought- like a... Like a sociological term for that, where you believe your own lies. Well, I think eventually you can convince yourself that it's true. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, he was he was a bit of a showman. I mean, look at his conjuring skills. Look at the, the fact that he was a, every magician's a showman. You know, I mean, and this, and none of these none of these tr- these are tricks. They're called magic tricks for a reason. Yeah. I'm thinking about what the uh, the late great Reverend Jim Jones said, which is the means always justify the end. I think that's what Harry was going for. Author Richard Morris uh, summed up Harry Price as a supreme bluffer, a hedonistic con man, and a terrific raconteur. A great conjurer, a gifted writer, and a wonderful eccentric. So his books are good then, right? I'm going to try and buy one because sometimes they, those old books can be so dry to read. You just end up never finishing them. But he's a great writer. Well, that's the thing. Say what you will about his techniques, about his studies and his research, but he added greatly to paranormal research, especially in Britain at the time. I mean, he put the first protocols for doing a a haunted investigation of a haunting. No one ever did that. There was no, there were no legitimate ghost hunters at the time. I mean, he made a whole ghost hunter, ghostbuster laboratory, you know, with his own inventions. Yeah. You know, he, he nurtured societies and organizations that are still investigating ghosts in the occult to this day. So, I mean, yeah, you know, that, that's a thing. I mean, his, I would say his legacy is, regardless of whether or not some of the investigations were, were untrue or you're skeptical mm-hmm. of, his, of his research techniques. But, I mean, he left, what, published 40 books, tons of writings on, on magic, psychic phenomena. He also had this, like, insane book collection of just obscure you know magic and occult esoterica which is still in the library to this day so 
regardless of what you if you think he's a fraud or not, he definitely contributed to paranormal research. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of the Warrens in a way, but whereas I think the Warrens are absolute scumbags who were definitely covering up huge cons and pedophilic cons, he doesn't seem like he's doing it in a malicious way. I think he's doing it kind of in a self-serving way, but at the same time, he's you know aiding the uh, the advancement of paranormal research. So in right. my mind, I think Harry Price is a is a stand-up fella, and I want to read his book, Confessions of a Ghost Hunter. Um, people, this episode eight sixty eight here is sick and wrong. We got some phone calls, uh, one phone call actually, a longer phone call than usual, but Ooh. it's a really good one. Um, you can call the Sick Wrong Hotline, 323-522-4032. Uh, we'll get to that phone call here right after this brief message from Adam and Eve. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. This is Trucker Paul. I got to tell you about this wonderful porno place where you can buy jack-off machines, dildos, inflatable wives. I bought them all. When I go home, I like to diddle my wife with a, a little dildo. When I'm on the road, I got my second wife, my blow-up doll, and my jack-off sleeve. Go to adamandeve.com. Type in the word diddle, D-I-D-D-L-E, and you'll get 50% off all your masturbation machines. How do y'all flick my balls? I put a spell on you. So we have one rather long phone call uh, this week, but it's a really good one. Uh, it's about the, um, it's a reference to the episode that we did, 863, which I think we started, it was the first episode in uh, October. The devil made him do it. Uh, about the Austin murder case where Michael Taylor, supposedly under demonic possession, killed his wife right. brutally. Anyway, yeah. this listener lived in this area and has a connection to Michael Taylor. No way, he lives in shithole Yorkshire. Yeah. Hey, Dean Kate. I thought I'd send you a, a quick Gee. message um, regarding your recent episodes. Oh, it's a few weeks back now. Um, uh, the Devil Made Me Do It. It was about Michael Taylor. Um, really, really weird coincidence happened. Um, I was listening to that episode and I actually know um, you were talking about Wakefield and the Cribs. Um, I actually know the family of the Cribs and know their mum. And no at way. the time I was at her house. Well, it's a small community. It is, I mean, Wakefield. We're the Crips, we're from Wakefield. Yeah, I imagine like most people would probably know each other, but still a weird coincidence. Because um, I'm a, a cleaner and care worker, I do home help. Uh, and I was cleaning her house at the time, which was really weird. Um, I know the boys quite well. Um, so you were talking about that. And I know uh, a few relations that actually live in Michael Taylor's house where the murder happened in Osset, which is basically 10 minutes away in the car. Uh, awesome. Whoa. I would, you know, I would live in that house. Fuck it. Yeah, I would live. I've always said I will live in any murder house because to me, 
Halloween or the anniversary of the murders, that's when I'll do a cookout. I'll have a huge house party. Like my dream house would be the um, Elizabeth Short um, Black Dahlia house. I would plant dahlias in the front garden. And when tourists came over, I'd, I'd point them in the right direction. I wouldn't be pissed that they were on my property. Like the people who own the current Wonderland house are dicks. Don't live in that house knowing full well what's happened. If we, you don't expect really the lucky losing death hags to come along. Don't they get upset, though, when people come over? Yeah, they do. But why live in that house? Because it's going to happen. We're always going to come. We're always going to look and let us. I really want to know um, if this listener, if she could message me the address of the Michael Taylor house, because I really want to Google map it. Well, I want to look at it. Yeah, I wonder if it's not not that far. How far is Osset from you? Osset? It's probably like two hours, two two and a bit hours. That's a bit of a hike. Is it, yeah, it's too long, and I'm not getting on the trains these days, buddy boy. Would Fuck you that. live in Bob Rodella's house? His childhood home is still there. Um, no, because, the home you that know, he had that he hoarded all his stuff in, committed all those. It's murders. been torn down. You know, oh. cool, cool guy Tommy who won a T-shirt who listens to the show. Hello, Tommy. He's like my Bob Bedella connection. He sends me loads of Bob Bedella stuff. Because he lives there, but Bob Bedella's home got torn down. But fuck yes, would I live in it? Yeah. All right. What about Gary Heidnick's home? Gary Which Heidnick is still there. The real life Buffalo mm, Bill. You know, yeah. Um, would you keep I, the pit in the basement and just kind of just keep it just preserved, or would you like make it into a hot tub or something? So I did Google map Gary's house when we did that episode. And I remember remember he like he glued all the pennies to his hallway and he did all that stuff. I would restore it to how it looked. And then every Halloween, guess who's going to have the best haunted house on the block? That would be a good haunted house. I'd charge people to come in like a tenor. <laughs> but yeah, you, but you'd have to like find other ways to like maybe people can rent the house out for weddings, brisses. That- that would be good. Murder mystery nights. I certainly wouldn't live there because, as I recall from the Google Maps, it's in a very bad part of the neighborhood. But would I profit off it? Share as fuck would. Maybe do a seance there. Yeah. I live in the area. Um, and my mother-in-law, her, a couple of members of her family actually moved into the house not long after. It, obviously, it was cleaned up. They weren't still sort of like his wife's eyeballs on the floor. Um, but yeah, she, she remembers uh, live, her, her mother lived on the street that he went running up, covered in blood. Uh, and yeah, it was a really, really weird experience. I asked her about it because um, the story of Michael Taylor has been on a few different crime podcasts now. Uh, it seems to be seeping into America now, this story. Um, and I, I thought it was really weird. And so I asked her about it and she told me and she said, yeah, um, you know, she said he, he was running up the street um, shouting, the devil is inside me. And they thought, oh, God, you know, he, he, is, he is one of the lo- local religious nuts. What's he going on about? And she said she watched her mother's face change as she realised that it wasn't paint he was covered in, it was blood. And she said she grabbed her grandkids and shouted to the neighbour and they shoved all the kids inside and people were crying and screaming and all sorts of stuff. The police turned up and tackled him to the ground. Um, and yeah, it was a, a, a word got round that it was a pretty nasty scene in the house. The dog was torn to pieces and all this. I do feel, feel bad for the puppers. 
And his wife, of little, course. But the puppers. I've little. Didn't we call him Puddles? I think we named him Puddles, and he was a little poodle. Poor thing. What did poor he do to poodle. deserve he getting torn a... apart? It, nothing. Poor little puds. Poor, poor little puddles. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you saw. A homeless guy. Let's say when you're in L.A., you saw a few of those. Just walking up the street covered in a red liquid. Wouldn't you just get the fuck away? I would definitely lock the doors of the Prius. D, I can't even walk past them when they're not covered in blood. Remember, I would make cha- make you change places so you were standing closer to them. I am trying my hardest to wish every L.A. person, every homeless L.A. person away because they are on another level to British homeless people. Here, the British homeless are, like, respectful. I've given, you know, I'll give them cigarettes when I used to smoke or I give them money, but they're, they're terrifying in L.A. No, they look, like, they look like the walking dead. I just think it's really funny the way you get so nervous. And like as soon as <laughs> like a homeless person is just kind of shuffling up the street, you you get all rigid and you just get really nervous. Hold my hand really tightly <laughs> and clutch your purse. <laughs> Dude, clutch my purse because I'm not used to it, man. Like I'm used to like... Even like when you go on the continent, the homeless people aren't like they are in LA. It's like they live, and I'm just waiting for one of them to chuck something in my face. I'm just on high alert, can't relax. <laughs> I don't think you should fear homeless. However, you should be, you know, definitely wary because they might throw feces at you. That's what, that's I'm, what I'm worried about. That's what I'm scared of, but I'm just wishing them away. Just wish them away. And she said, um, Actually, I, I, it's a shame I never met my mother-in-law's auntie. It was my mother-in-law's auntie moved into the house uh, quite a few years later, and um, she said, "Oh, she said we, you know, we'd be sat in the kitchen where he murdered his wife," and um, she said there was a really heavy atmosphere in the in the kitchen, um, and she said, "You know, Jesus, it was." She said, I really never liked going into the house. She said, but her auntie didn't seem to be affected by it. And I thought it would have been quite nice to know her auntie. I think I think she probably, like Kate, you know, thought, wow, I can go and live in a real murder house. You know, I think she had the same mentality me and Kate have. I'd love to go and live in a murder house. Anyway. Yes. Um, I, you know, I wonder, with such a gruesome murder, like the Michael Taylor murder, would you be able to clean up all of the blood all of like the you know the hair the teeth the bone fragments yeah i think even when it gets so bad that when it soaks into the floorboards and i think they have to take it out because it's like a biological matter so i've definitely watched cl- crime scene cleanups where they take away everything they can yeah but don't you think there'd like be a piece of bone or some hair with skin on it in the blinds hey there fucking could be and you might just find it one day and be like, that's a piece of skull. Again, I would do like the Merle Allen thing where I would put it in a jar straight on eBay. Not eBay, <laughs> mur- murder auctions, murderabilia.com, something like that. Someone would buy it. Probably Fuck you. Yeah. You probably would buy it. You probably would see the listing and forget <laughs> that you posted it. <laughs> like, I'm going to buy this. It's I'm going to buy it off myself on a drunken night. <laughs> I would like to know. I mean, I don't know if she could find this out, but I'd like to know how much she purchased that home for. And was it cheaper than all the other homes on the block? Yeah, so like in Osset, all the other houses are like probably like 30 grand because it's Osset. <laughs> and then the, that one house is 10 grand. You'd be like, oh, why is this so cheap? I think they're legally obligated to tell you that something happened, aren't they now? 
I know that's how it works here. We've interviewed people yeah. who have purchased murder homes or a, a realtor that w- that sold a home a while ago. And uh, yeah, they are legally bound, like they ha- legally obligated to say something about it. I would I would love it if people came over and they're like, oh, wow, I, re- I really love where, where you live, your house. You've done such a great space because the second you say that, you go, someone was murdered here. Instantly, you'd be like, someone got murdered here. Really gruesome. Well, it's a really famous case. Wonder you're doing a podcast about it now. If I was a prospective buyer and the realtor was like, well, just so you know, there was a violent murder here, this religious nutcase, I'd be in my mind, cha-ching. <laughs> and then the Jew would come would come to the forefront and be like, oh, really? A murder, so you say. A violent one. I'll take this you'd house for like 5,000 a- quid. <laughs> yeah, that picture I took of you in CVS where you've got the gold coins. You'd be just be glint, that instantly. A glint in my eye. Like, oh, a murder <laughs> took place here, you say. 5,000 <laughs> pounds. No more, no less. <laughs> murder, well, maybe less if there's say? a second murder in here. <laughs> um, yeah, there was another podcast that did the did the story. So I sent I, I drove round to the house, took some pictures for them. She said this is the house where it's still standing. Um, it's it's in amongst some terrace houses, so it's sort of in a corner of a some terrace houses. So they can't exactly knock it down because it's attached to the house next door. Um, so yeah. My mother-in-law's auntie, I think, I don't know whether her family still own the house. She's passed away, I think. Um, but, yeah, it was a really weird coincidence where where I was at the time when suddenly I was listening to this podcast about some guy that lived down the street. Um, I, I, I think I remember where he still lives. Um, I don't know whether he's passed away now or what. Michael Taylor? Okay. I don't think yeah, because we alive. were talking about it. It was very hard to find information. I also couldn't find like a death notice or an obituary about him. Actually, you know, now that I think about it, I think he is still alive. And didn't he get convicted for like being a sex pest? Yeah, but that was years ago. That was like two thousand five, two thousand seven. So that is a long time ago now. But he's definitely still. I mean, there'll be tailors knocking around Osset, and everyone. Everyone will just talk about them. Please send me the pi- the pictures, listener. Like I'm on Facebook. I'm I'm just Kate Rambo on Facebook. You can find me. I'm holding up a picture of us. I'm holding up a skull. That's my picture. Um, but apparently, people for years and years afterwards. I mean, um, like you were saying, he didn't really spend a lot of time in prison. He was in a mental institution for a bit, and then he was let out. Um, but yeah, he's, he, apparently everyone crossed the street when they saw him. He became a bit of a social pariah, as you can imagine. Can imagine. Um, I wonder if he was. Like, I wonder if he'd go to a pub. Like, do you think they'd serve be, him in a pub? Possibly, but it would be like you know an American werewolf in London when they go into the pub and everyone turns around, looks at them, and is like, "I won't be hanging around here, lad." I think it would be like that. We'll serve you one. Get fuck okay. out. It's my who Yorkshire would, impression. <laughs> who would they prefer to serve? A convicted pedophile a or a convicted murderer? <laughs> like Michael Taylor. Oh, a murderer. There's nothing worse than a pedo, is there? I thought you were going to say a murderer or a Jew then. It's like, <laughs> Of course you would think that. And, you know, elderly, older ladies and things that, you know, the, the religious types in the village would cross themselves and jump out of the way of him. 
Um, I've, I don't know whether he's still in and about Osset. I could find out, I suppose. Um, yes. Osset's like any other shit old village. You know, it has its gossip, so... So, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether he's still around or not, but I can ask around. But, yeah, I just thought it was a really weird uh, coincidence. Um, great podcast. I've listened for years and years and years, and I've I started listening again not long back. And, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying the show. Keep on the good work, guys. Oh, thanks for calling in. We appreciate that. I've been um, listening for years. Please find out if he's still alive. You're like, it's like having an insider. I like having different listeners all across the world because then you can get like insider info that other podcasts would just fucking ignore. But I want to know the juicy gossip. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's not that often that we have a direct, con- you know, a direct connection. Someone, she actually, her mother-in-law's aunt lived in the home, the murder home. It's amazing. I also would like to thank this listener for confirming that Osset, even though I have never been there and never will, is indeed a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> Where is Osset? What major city is or larger city is Osset close to? Uh, like Wakefield, Leeds, so for that. Oh, end. okay. So it's kind of like not quite the well, it's the north, but sort of. Oh, in it's the north, mate. It's like um, more like north. Is it northwest? I would say north, maybe northeast. I don't know. I'm never gonna go there. What are we going to go to Osset for unless the murder house. we're going to look at this house to yeah. buy it? That's what I'm saying. Like when we want, when we buy the murder home, I'm wondering if we should just do that. Like if we, uh, if if I, if we somehow win the lottery or something, I say we just buy up all the murder homes and just kind of live there and put up like live cams on YouTube of just like when we're in town visiting the murder homes, and then when we're not there, you can see all the the poltergeist activity. That's a good idea. We'd be like, yeah, the murder house. You know what I would like to buy that's sat empty for fucking years? The uh, the OG murder house uh, that we went to go and see near the La Bianca's. Wait, oh, the murder mansion over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, the murder the mansion. The father murdered his family. Yeah, which I reckon the reason it's... It has sold a few times, but nobody's ever tried to renovate it. And I think it's now it's because it's going to cost more to renovate it than it ever would to buy it. And that's why people are just waiting for it to fall down. And then somebody's just going to swipe in and buy the land. But the we property, should buy it. Yeah. The property tax would be insane there too, right? In Los Feliz. But it's a cool looking yeah, house. But- if you're ever in Los Feliz, kind of going towards uh, the Greek theater, you should stop by and see the murder mansion. Very famous place. Well, thank you, caller. That was that was fascinating. I normally, I normally oh, only play calls that are about three minutes in length. But that was a really good one. Um, not I to hope mention, you feel better soon. Not to mention we're getting a little low on calls. So, people, we do need you to call us, 323-522-4032, or send us an email, sickrunpodcast at gmail.com, uh, include an MP3, and we'll definitely play it on the show. I'm trying to build up a backlog. Um, anyway, we're about to wrap up the show here. Once again, thanks to all the listeners who support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. You, um, you know, you're helping us keep it sick and wrong every week. Also, we do have uh, merch at the Sick and Wrong Tea Public Store, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope and uh, buy yourself there a some sale? sick and wrong teas. Is there a sale? I think there's a sale. I think there is a sale going on right now. You never know. I think there's like a sale three weeks out of every month. So <laughs> Why don't they just keep the sale prices and then when they do, and then one week uh, they could do like a mega sale. Wow, that's a lot of sales. 
That's a lot it of sales. It is. The people love the sales, man. But then there'd Especially be nothing special Indian, about the sales. I love the sales. There'd be nothing special about the sale. You got to make something special about the sale. Well, yeah, it's a mega sale, which is like 10 times more special than a normal sale because it's a mega sale. Why don't you contact Tee Public and tell them how to do their jobs? Uh, fuck you, I'm going to go and work for them. And then on the side, I'm going to be a paranormal investigator. That'd be good. And we can actually make paranormal investigator t-shirts. For like, cheap. I like where we're going. First stop. First stop, Osset. Uh, finally here, Sigarong Song of the Week. Uh, we're going to end the show with uh, something sort of spooky, something sort of ghost-related uh, from one of Kate's favorite bands and favorite singers, Marky Smith, The Fall. Right. Let's get this straight. I like The Fall, but I do not like Marky Smith. I think he's a fucking whiny little cunt. He's a mank cunt. And he's he fucking hit bricks. There's just no excuse for it. Do you know what? There are bands like CCR who put out nothing but hit after hit after hit. And they don't have to hit their wives to achieve those hits. Marky Smith, I'm quite glad, is dead. Yeah, I don't know how many hits The Fall ever really had, but they definitely not had a many. lot of albums. What, like 50 yeah, records? Yeah, like 50 John Peel's favorite band as well. Now I like the fall too. I I like him to a to a limit. I'm not collecting 50 records. I think I have like three or four. Anyway, yeah. This record, the Friends Experiment. If you got it, it wouldn't even contain the song, the original LP. I kind of hate when that happens. What they did, and that was one of the reasons why sometimes you want to buy the CD version and the LP. Because the CD version will have bonus tracks. So the Friends Experiment, which came out in 1988, has a couple bonus tracks. One of them being this song, Ghost in My House, which is a cover uh, done by The Fall. So we're going to end the show here with that song. People will be back next week with episode 869. Till then, take it sleazy.
People need to be entertained. They need the distraction. I wish to God that somebody would do something to block out the voices in my head for five minutes. The voices that scream over and over. Why do they come to me to die? Why do they come to me to die?